Hey, Chicago Fire fans, Yasu Carlos Irthate, greetings, welcome back to Feed the Fire, a Chicago Fire podcast. I'm your host, Nick, and it was Greek night at Soldier Field this weekend, unofficially at least, as the Chicago Fire drew Atlanta United 3-3 with Atlanta's Yorgos Giacomakis and Chicago's Yorgos Kutsias combining for three of those six goals as the two clubs split the points. Uh, In today's show, we're going to look at the goals and use those kind of as jumping off points to talk about some of the themes in the match. And uh, we will get our take from our featured guest, John Donovan, on the Charlotte and Atlanta matches. And then we'll talk a little bit about some rumors of the Chicago Fire's head coaching search. So make sure you stay tuned to the end of the show for that. But as they say, beware Greeks bearing goals or gifts or something along those lines, right? So let's take a look at the goals in this game now atlanta opened the scoring relatively early in the 29th minute minute uh with andrew goodman getting the opener he was left alone on the far side of the play on an amata free kick and brady made a great save to keep that free kick from scoring but he parried the shot outside to awaiting goodman and it was great positioning by goodman because if brady catches it then yeah no rebound but if there is going to be a rebound It's going to go right there. And he was in the right spot at the right time, makes the right read and reaction, and gives Atlanta the early lead. Now, Goodman was wide open and not marking a player on a set piece, especially the buildup to this set piece. And we'll talk about that, a a second yellow card for Fede Navarro. Like, they had plenty of time to get their defense set. So an open man on a set piece is inexcusable. Fabian Herbers, like he actually is on on the end of the defensive line and looks over his shoulder and sees Goodman and doesn't move, just stays there, watches the free kick come in, watches the rebound go to Goodman and watches Goodman score the goal. Watch Fabian Herbers on this replay. He literally does not move through the entire free kick sequence. That is why a lot of fans are starting to look at him as one of the weak links on the team, and we'll talk about him a little bit more later. Uh, But yeah, terrible, terrible marking. But what was even worse than the marking was the foul call to give this free kick. Now, there was a foul on the play. Mauricio Pineda fouled the Atlanta attacker, uh, and Fede Navarro gets called for it and gets the yellow card. You look at the slow motion replay because everyone was showing it, except, you know, the referee didn't want to go see it on VAR. It's only a matter of a second yellow card, red card, free kick just outside of the box, completely game-changing play. But no, why would I want to go check that on VAR? I can only hope that there was no VAR check requested because that would be the only reason I would accept for the referee not wanting to take a second look at this one is that the crew, the VAR, the FIP official, you know, said like, no, we're not going to take a look at this. But yet Navarro kind of does kind of nip the side of the foot of the Atlanta attacker on this one. But Pineda ends up pushing the player down. But Navarro gets the yellow card for it. It's his second yellow card and changes the game. Absolutely changes the game when you go down a man and a goal in the 29th minute. Now, 
a lot of people on social media and even some of the, the broadcasters, who, by the way, I'm not a fan of this broadcasting team at all, uh, the, a lot of people were asking, why can't VAR review this? Well, VAR does not review second yellow cards. VAR is only used in a very limited number of circumstances. One of them are direct red cards. And as this was a soft red or a second yellow red card accumulation, however you want to call it, that was not reviewable. But what is reviewable is mistaken identity. If you give a card, yellow or red, to a player and it should go to another player, that is reviewable. So my assumption is the fifth official, the VAR official, saw that there was some contact between Navarro's cleat and the other player's side of the shoe and said, okay, that must be what the ref saw and is giving the yellow card for. However, I still think they needed to look at it because that's not a yellow card worthy foul. The yellow card worthy foul, which would be a real soft one if it was given a yellow card, would, would be to Pineda. And it was given a yellow card, right? So that is where I have the biggest problem is that they didn't even want to do a mistaken identity check. The nuance to the rule, which maybe caused some confusion for the fifth official or for others, is that while you can do a VAR check for a mistaken identity of who received the yellow card, you cannot use it to go back and review the foul. So the referee gives the yellow card to Fetty Navarro. So, again, the fifth official probably said, well, there was some contact. I can't tell the official, I can't tell the head ref that the foul should go to Pineda. And I think that's where the nuance came in, and I think that's where it, um, it, it stopped in the game. Again, I still believe they should have said, hey, mistaken identity check. You know, did you call the foul on Navarro or did you call the foul on Pineda? you know, what are you thinking here? So, but again, I think the yellow card going to Navarro kind of eliminated that question from the fifth official. And, and that's why there was no check. Got a really nuanced there for a little bit, but go back. I encourage you find the rule. You cannot review who the, the foul was called on or that it was a foul and you can only review who gets the yellow card. So I think because of those two interplaying rules, that's why there was no check here. All right, moving on. That was a lot of analysis right there. And it's way too early in the morning for me to be doing refereeing decisions and things, right? The next goal comes towards the end of the first half, 42nd minute. It is scored as an own goal against Parada of Atlanta. But we all know it was Shakiri for the Olympico. He was going for the near post. He saw that goalie on the far post and said, there's a huge opening in front. I'm putting this in. Shakiri's got the talent to do it. I bet he's done it on the training ground hundreds of times over his career, probably a handful of times, you know, putting it in on that near post during his actual playing career. But he saw the goalkeeper was playing way back. There was a gap in the front. And by the way, if you remember at our last episode, we saw that one way that the Chicago Fire could take advantage of Atlanta was just getting shots on goal because their goalkeeping is terrible relative to the rest of the MLS. So Shakiri saw the opportunity and took it. And even in his postgame quote, he said, oh, I thought it went in before the other guy touched it. But hey, as long as I'm helping the team score goals, that's what counts. Uh, but yeah, this to me looked like it should have been a Shakiri goal. Uh, but other than this one play, that first half, absolutely dreadful the team did not look prepared or cohesive or had any sort of idea what the game plan was and my example of this was in the second minute of the game Fabian Herbers creates a turnover in the middle of the field Atlanta is pressing they have one or two players on defense 
and he could have almost a three-on-one, at least a two-on-one uh, breakaway. But what does he do? Instead of driving towards the goal, as you need to in these counterattacking turnover situations, he actually takes the ball out wide towards the corner flag because he wants to either try to play across or maybe slow down the play, let some guys get involved. No, that is absolutely the wrong play for all, regardless of the reasoning he was thinking. And to make it worse, Marin Haile Selassie is like, cool, he gets the ball. He's going to drive to goal. Let me go around the back up the sideline and overlap him. Well, because Ferber, Herbers is going, Ferbers, Fabian Herbers, maybe that we should just call him Ferbers. I don't know. He makes the run to the outside. Haile Selassie almost runs right into him. So now you have two guys on the wing with the ball and nobody is threatening the Atlanta goal. So the fact that that was happening in the second minute of the game just kind of showed you that this team was not prepared for this game. Now let's jump to the second half and the four goals here, right? In the 49th minute, Marin Haile Selassie gives the fire the lead in an example of how the fire are supposed to be playing. So maybe something got said, probably something got said in the locker room, like, don't do that. Do what we've worked on in training or why we signed you all, right? There was a quick restart on a throw-in. Ball gets to Shakiri. Shakiri picks his head up, plays a long ball to the center of the box, uh, right around the penalty spot area, and Shabilko chests the ball down, back away from the goal, lays it off from Aaron Haile Selassie. In his post-game quote, he said, I saw the gap, and I took a good shot, and it went in. So great, great sequence. And that is how the fire are supposed to be playing. Quick counterattacking, right? And and I base that on the, the roster they've constructed here and how at least Ezra really wanted to sit defensively in the center of the field and send his wingbacks forward. That's in my mind, a little bit more of a counterattacking style. And in this play, it utilized the best attributes of the players. Shakiri with quick, long balls, direct balls into dangerous areas. Shabilko being able to play with a dual striker type. Now, I know Marin Haile Selassie is a winger. They weren't using a dual striker formation. But in this particular instance, both Shabilko and Selassie were in the box together in order to receive this long ball. So it was almost in one play, like they had two strikers up top, which is how Shabilko was successful in Philadelphia. And we saw it here. He's a bigger physical guy. He's able to hold off the defender, lay the ball off for his fellow player here. And Marin Haile Selassie being a winger who likes to, to get into dangerous areas. Again, he's in the box, works well with Shabilko, one times it back in the net, right? So you're using the best of the fire in this sequence. Unfortunately, for the large parts of this match, as well as for the season, you get like the opposite of this particular sequence where you see Shakiri playing the ball way too fast and his teammates aren't good enough or aren't smart enough or aren't coached enough, whatever it is. They aren't getting into the areas where Shakiri is playing the ball to them. Shakiri needs to learn to either stop it and maintain some possession and hopefully working with Gutierrez in the midfield will help it, or his teammates need to know when Shakiri gets the ball, you just run straight forward, okay? Get open, he'll pick you out. The other thing is you see Casper Shabilko, more often than not, taking too many dribbles, tripping over his feet, not knowing where to place a header, like we saw in this game early on. It was, do I shoot or do I pass? I'll just head it and see what happens, and it, it goes to no one except the opposing team. Or you see Marn Haile Selassie now being played on the left side when he 
should have been on the right side with Suke. So they're still tinkering uh, with Haile Selassie in that midfield and the wingers and where they want him to be. And I, and I like Haile Selassie and Suke playing together. They've started to develop a bit of a rapport on that right side, but now trying to get Gutierrez and Shakiri on the pitch together is kind of moving things around. So that is, again, in, in one play, you see what the fire are capable of, but for stretches of the game, you usually see the opposite. In the 55th minute, Yorgos Giacomakis gets Atlanta level. Now, he just came in at halftime, and he had six goals on the season already, and the Chicago Fire forget to mark him. And I put a tweet out. I screenshotted his first goal. There are six Fire players in the box, and they still can't mark two Atlanta United players. Gutman gets the cross, heads it back to Giacomakis, who really, had he gotten the initial cross, he might have been offside, but he would have tapped that in. But instead, the initial cross, instead of going low to the center to him, goes high to the far post to Gutman, who heads it back for an easy tap in for Giacomakis. The fire were completely out of position. Chihos is too far upfield, can't get back in time. No one rotates, no one communicates, and Giacomakis has pretty much an, an unmarked tap in from like the four yards out. Now, Chihos was a step behind this entire sequence, and I'm not going to rip on him too much because of his play throughout the season, but also he was playing hurt because here's Frank Klopas' post-game conference, uh, quote about their center back. Quote, you know, Rafa is not 100%. Now, he's playing with some injuries like most players are always going to feel something, but I don't even ask him. I just put him on the lineup and he plays. End quote. My quote, are you kidding me? End my quote. You know he's hurt and you he's out there. It just and you've got you need him for the Austin game. If you really are putting all your eggs in the US Open Cup basket, why are you playing a hurt center back for 90 minutes against this extremely powerful Atlanta offense? Like it's insane. It is insane to me how they're managing their players, how this coaching staff and this organization is managing their players. Now I get, you really want Yakumaki's running at Kendall Burks? <laughs> like that, Yakumaki's probably could have had four goals if that were the case. But anyway, it just kind of shows you where the fire are in terms of their depth, their development, and their player management. Now, to be fair, Klopas did go on and say he's got a great relationship with these players, with Shakiri, with Chihos, and everyone, and he really prides himself on building great relationships, which is fine. But again, you have a hurt center back, and it showed on that play. He could not get back in time. 55 minutes into the match to play defense where he was supposed to be. Then 10 minutes later in the 65th, Yakumakis puts Atlanta ahead. It was initially called offside and it was by the narrowest of margins, but V, but the side official, the assistant referee did what he was supposed to do. He allowed the play to continue, raised the flag after the goal. VAR checks it and confirms he is on side. But again, it was three fire defenders not being able to mark two attackers. And Chihos gets caught kind of in no man's land. Do I step up and help double team the dribbler? Do I drop back into the box and keep Giacomakis on side, but try to actually man mark him? And Chihos gets caught in the middle, doesn't make either decision, and just kind of like tries to step up and play the offside trap and is just an inch too late to do it. By the way, Giacomakis is tied now for second in the golden boot race. Denny Bowanga of LAFC leads the way with 10 goals. Giacomakis and four others are on eight goals after this match day. 
And just for your knowledge, it's Espinoza from San Jose, Ferreira from Dallas, Jordan Morris in Seattle, and Hani Mukhtar of Nashville. Those are the other four players with eight goals. And I think the next highest several players have six goals on the season. Now, continuing the thread of the night, the theme of the night, the Greek night, beware Greeks bearing goals. In the 89th minute, Yorgos Kutsias saves a point for the Chicago Fire, getting his first MLS goal. Now, Miguel Navarro, much maligned for some of his boneheaded plays, and justifiably so, actually puts in a really good cross on this one from the left side. And, and that is where I think Ezra and where Klobos want him to, wanted him to be doing was getting forward and playing in these crosses that he can. It's just he usually finds other ways to screw things up when he's actually having to play some defense. But he puts in a really good cross. It kind of gets through the first couple defenders, goes back to the far side, kind of pinballs a bit. And even Haile Selassie in his postgame comments say, like, he didn't want to mess with it and just let Kutsias strike it. And that's what happens. It ends up at Kutsias's feet. And he doesn't miss from that close. I think he was maybe four to six yards out on that one and just, just fires at home, saving a point for the Chicago Fire. I was so happy for him. You're always happy when young players score. Personally, as a Greek and an MLS fan, I was thrilled for the, for him, for, for Yakumakis, for this match. I love the goals and the chaos. But as a fan of the Chicago Fire, I'm still scratching my head because how can a 3-3 draw with so much drama and excitement and effort and goal scoring still feel just like any of their other games that they played this season where they get a little lucky, they get a little unlucky, they play terribly for a lot of it and somehow walk away with a point despite it being a home game and being slight favorites by the odds makers. Like that's, it's just all the same thing. It's rinse and repeat over and over again for the Chicago Fire here. Now, I mentioned earlier about Fabian Herbert, so let's let's talk about him for a quick second here. He, he's the ultimate example of this effort versus talent argument. And, and for me, the argument is talent will always beat effort eventually, you know, and, and Herbert is an effort guy and he keeps getting praise for his work rate and effort and grit and just tenacity and he's all over the field. Well, that's that's good and all. And, oh, he's a utility player. He can play on the wing. He can play centrally. He can play defense. He can do all these things. Oh, okay, fine. I, I understand that, and I'm not questioning his effort or his work rate, but the fact is, like, he blew his marking assignment on the goal. Uh, you have two utility players, if you want to use that phrase, in Mauricio Pineda, who can play center back, who can play center mid uh, defensively or attacking, I guess, if needed to, and could probably you know, if you change your formation, play like a left center or a right center, or maybe even uh, on an outside back, if you keep four in the back, right? And, and Herbers can do all the same thing. So again, there's an indictment of the roster building and the depth that you're relying on these two utility players, quote unquote, to, to be such a large part of your starting lineup and to have so many minutes. So there's an indictment on your roster. And again, Herbers is, is probably an MLS average player uh, at best. You know, he is much more closer, in my opinion, to this game against Atlanta, where he's blowing assignments, where he's just committing bad fouls in the midfield. I think he ended up with the yellow card. It would really surprise me if he didn't. I'll have to go back and look at that. I think he's closer to this game, where a lot of Fire fans, I think, were waiting for him to have this game so they could come out and criticize him just because they don't like the way he plays. Um, Closer to this game than his opening match, where he scores the goal to, to save a point in New York or against New York city to open the season and has a really good game there, you know, running the wing, et cetera. So I, 
Herbers, again, is your effort over talent example on the Chicago Fire. But the Fire, as a team, are relying on effort over talent. You hear it in their postgame quotes from the coaching staff and players. You see it on the field. You know, they, they can't take a single playoff. They have to go 100% the entire game because their margin of error is so slim, right? When 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 Fabi didn't put in the effort on that free kick to defend, goal. You When when the defense uh, does not put in the effort to track back, uh, when Shakiri is not putting in his defensive effort, when players aren't making their runs into the spaces, when they are putting that effort, the fire look like a terrible, terrible MLS franchise. But when they put in the effort and they and they give that 100% and they don't have those little little errors, those little slip-ups like we saw the entire first half of this Atlanta game, well, look at that. They, they can salvage a point. So effort's the only thing the fire are getting by on right now, and they do need to address their talent gap desperately. Are they going to do that in the summer transfer window? Are they going to do it when they have an interim coach? I would hope not, but we will see because nothing should surprise us as Fire fans with how this organization acts. Now, let's take our sponsor break here. I'm going to remind everyone that Feed the Fire is brought to you by Skira Icelandic Spring Water. Icelandic for clear, Skira water comes from a spring in a government-protected nature preserve in Iceland with naturally low mineral content. This isn't your average water. Clearly, pun intended, it's one of the best. So get out to 7-Eleven, grab a bottle or four of Skira Icelandic spring water, and remember that our segment from John Donovan is brought to you by Skira Icelandic spring water. And here's John with his reactions to Charlotte and Atlanta. Nick, John Donovan here reporting on the Chicago Fire and the MLS. Nick, what uh, two games? Very exciting soccer um, we come away with a loss and a tie. So basically the squad did not make up any ground. We, I look at the schedule or the standings and we're second from the bottom with Toronto being the worst team in the league, which really has got to be surprising. The amount of money both teams have spent on DPs and special European players and so forth is shocking to see the results. I mean, Philadelphia... New England, all these squads that uh, do highlight a lot of American players and depend on their academy, especially Philadelphia, are just better teams. They're better coached. Um, they don't come with these big European attitudes. Um, you know, what do you say? We've got a squad of really good players and we have a coach that has difficulty putting them all together and has difficulty has had difficulty putting them together for 13 years. So we had the Charlotte game, which really was exciting. Uh, we were up a beautiful score by Casper. He had a rebound off the goalie's chest, stuck it away. Very nice score. But second half, uh, Charlotte started turning it on. And you know how when the other team turns it on, the fire turn it off in the last, say, 15 minutes. Um, Klopas has made its changes. We had one score prior to that. It was a beautiful cross to a young American player by the name of Cambridge, who Navarro got sucked into the middle and Gutierrez did not cover down, which a normal midfielder should do. And Cambridge, Mr. Cambridge, had pretty clear shot going on Brady. Um, so it was 1-1. And lo and behold, 
Klopos had made his substitution. We had the Mexican player in there um, from, I think it was Atlas. And lo and behold, the exact same play, Mr. Cambridge bolted one home. So it was 2-1 Charlotte. Charlotte is starting to play well again. Um, and there, remind you, they're a new team to the league and they're out playing the fire that have been part of this league since 1998, I believe it is. So we're not making up any ground. And one of the constants in this squad has been Mr. Klopas. So we go into the Atlanta game and there really wasn't many changes in the squad. Uh, uh, Jimenez was off because of... Uh, too many yellow cards and Herbert start. And I thought he played a very good game. But, you know, if you have the last name of Navarro on the on the Chicago Fire, you're expecting cards, a lot of cards. And Federico Navarro got a yellow card with three minutes going into the game. And any coach knowing this gentleman's history should have yanked him out of the game right away. But the 28th minute, bingo, Federico Navarro pulls another yellow card, which is a red card. So the fire played for a long time. I think it was till the 75th minute. They played 10 men on 11, which, you know, obviously gives the other team an advantage, but it makes for bad soccer. You know, the fire went into a 1-4-4 lineup, which, you know, is a box plus Casper uh, Shevilko trying to press and that is not very impressive. He doesn't have a lot of speed. Um, if I was Klopas, I would have pulled Casper out and put Kutsius in, but he didn't. And uh, the game went on till about the 78th minute. And now um, Atlanta put in the Superman from Greece. Um, and I know that it's going to be a rough name, Geomachus, who is talented. They played his salary as $1.7 million dollars. And the guy scored two goals and was a hair away from his third goal. I kind of uh, don't go with that offsides call, but it's, it happened on the field and they called it. Wait a minute. That, no, that score came about for him. And there was another score that he had that uh, didn't go through. But finally, it went to 10 on 10 in the fire. Kutsia scored with two minutes to go. So thank the Lord for the tie. It wasn't a complete disastrous week. Um, it would have been horrible if they had lost that game too. They would have been tied with Toronto for the bottom. But um, they came away with that. And they might, you know, if if old Frank can kind of put it together, if Kamara's back and he used Kutsias as his, his uh, backup for that center forward slot, Mueller's playing again. And really Salise uh, from Ethiopia, I'm sorry, from Switzerland played a dynamite game. He had a beautiful goal off a feed from Casper, a beautiful goal. So we've got the talent. We have the talent. We just are not playing the people in the proper positions. Um, the two games were super exciting. This this final game, when they finally went down to 10 on 10, was dynamite. It, it literally, I was standing up watching the game. It was so exciting. But the fire just have to get it together all the way through the whole 90. I, I will say I like the way Pineda came in and played for Tehran. He's not a Tehran. Tehran is a guy that probably will be over in Europe next year. But Pineda is reliable. He's an American player. He's from Bensonville. He plays quite a few positions for the squad and does a good job. So 
you know, overall, if, if we had only walked away with a tie or a win against Charlotte, it would have been a good week. So, Nick, thank you very much for this opportunity. And, Mike, I hope you're listening. I hope everything's going well for you guys. That's about it. Have a good night. John, thank you, as always, for your contributions. Always great to hear your takes on things. And we will see what the Fire can do in the U.S. Open Cup coming up and with their next stretch of schedule. And that's what I wanted to turn our attention to, because when Klopas took over, he said, we can still make the playoffs. And I agreed with him, mostly because nine teams make the playoffs. And the Fire, essentially, if they can just like draw most of their matches and steal a couple wins here and there, they can probably make the playoffs. You got to assume they're going to get better. I mean, you know what happens when you assume, though. But here's the next schedule for the Chicago Fire. Let's take a look a few weeks out. So next next match, MLS match, is at New England. And that's after uh, they play Austin in U.S. Open Cup on Wednesday, uh, the 24th. Then they've got New England the following weekend. Then at Toronto, at Cincinnati, home versus the crew, at Portland, at Kansas City, at Orlando, then at home versus Nashville. That is not an easy stretch of games for the Fire. Just looking at that, maybe they beat Toronto and Orlando, but I don't see them winning any of those other games and probably not drawing a lot of those games either. So in the MLS, you want to be a really good team, you win at home and you draw on the road. And that's true for most leagues. If you want to make the playoffs, you just play 500 soccer throughout the course of the season what the fire are doing are drawing at home and losing on the road and they have one two three four five six road games in their next eight mls matches this this season could be over in the next six to eight weeks all right i teased some fire news at the beginning some fire coaching rumors now the rumor is that the fire are set to appoint nikos kostenoglu as head coach, and yeah, even with my Greek accent, I had a tough time with that one. Um, now, that's per the Greek sporting website, Sport24. Uh, now, the link here is that Kostanoglu is, was a teammate of interim manager Frank Klopas for a year at Greek club Ike Athens. That's A-E-K Athens uh, back in 94. And apparently the two have stayed close friends. By the way, shout out to Ike coming off a trophy-winning season in the Greek Super League. They finish second in the regular season standings, get into the playoffs, and then go on a great run winning the league title. They'll be in UEFA Champions League next year, starting with third-round qualifying. So shout out to Ike, God's club, as they say. According to this article now, getting back to the, the link of Nikos Kostenoglu to the Chicago Fire, he was most recently the head coach of the Cyprus national team uh, from 21 to 22, hasn't been coaching since, and Klopas actually reached out to him about coming on as a coach with the Chicago Fire. Now, maybe there's a little bit lost in translation here because I just had to do a Google Translate of the article uh, from its original Greek to English, but the the translation suggests that Kostanoglu will come in as an assistant coach with Frank Klopas. And then, you know, people are speculating, well, will then he take over as head coach next year, bring him in as an assistant now, make sure he's good with his papers and licenses and everything, and then get him up to, to head coach next year. Or is he really going to be Frank's assistant and Frank's just trying to help him out and get a job for the next half season, whatever it is. But here's what really bothers me about all this. Um, I shared the article. If you guys want to go find it, follow me on Twitter at Glasshouse Soccer. 
Um, but there's no confirmation or corroboration of any other of the MLS news sources about this hiring. <clears throat> Additionally, the article itself just says this could happen or this is going to happen. And it really doesn't cite anyone. You don't even get the vague like um, sources close to the Chicago fire, sources close to Kostanoglu's camp. Like you don't even have that in the article. Maybe that's just a Greek style of journalism that we're not used to, but who knows? There's no real sources discussed in this article. And again, nothing in MLS sources that have it popped as of uh, May 22nd this morning. Additionally, what bothers me is that if this is going to happen, Kostanoglu has never been in the same position for more than a year. I mean, look at his Wikipedia page. It's just every year there's a new coaching job all around Greece and it just doesn't seem like he's got any longevity. Now, the Greek league, similar to some of the other you know, North American, South American leagues where they're firing coaches every year or two. Maybe that's not a surprise, but the fact that you couldn't do it for two seasons in a row, you know, let alone three, four or five with the squad seems pretty, pretty damning. But also this is my bigger issue here. If Mansueto as the owner of this club or Heights and Peltzer as, as the technical and sporting directors of these clubs, this club allows your interim manager to make the coaching decisions I'm not, that doesn't make any sense to me. It's pure insanity, even though it would be on par for this franchise. It would be insane to let your interim manager hire a new coach, whether as a future head coach or as the assistant coach. Now, if you're going to say Klopas is going to be the head coach next year and he's filling out his staff, okay, that's one thing. I would disagree with you making Frank Klopas your head coach um, as for many, many reasons, just look at the fire's history for the last 10 years, uh, exhibit a, uh, but again, there seems to be like no real control over it. So maybe this is a sign that they're like, fine, Klopas, bring your buddy in for six months, see what you can do. Um, maybe we'll help him out. We owe you one Frankie, I guess. I don't know. And then they get rid of them all and let the next coach figure it out from there. Or maybe they're lining Klopas up for some, uh, role on the business side of it, rather than moving him off the bench which would be great, failing upward, see it in sports all the time, but at least he's not influencing the team on the field as much. But there are a lot of like just non sequiturs, or if this happens, then that happens, and that doesn't make any sense. But if this happens and the other happens, it's just a lot of nonsense. Um, so that's why I really don't think this ha it has a lot of traction, probably not true, despite this Greek sports article saying it's all but done. Anyway. All we can do is wait and see if this is the truth. But also, there's reports that the Chicago Fire are in discussions with Greg Berhalter to become the next Chicago Fire coach. We could spend another completely new and long episode discussing that, but we won't. At least not yet. At least not yet. So quickly, let's just remind you all the Chicago Fire's next match midweek, May 24th at Austin for U.S. Open Cup. Fans are saying... This should be what we do. Put all our eggs in the U.S. Open Cup basket. I agree with it. Do everything you can to win this Austin game. Then you'll face the winner of Minnesota-Houston, I believe. And then you could get into the semifinals. Minnesota, Houston, Austin not playing their best soccer right now, though. Minnesota does seem to be on the up. Austin and Houston both seem to be on the up where the fire are very, very stagnant. So we will see what the fire can do midweek and then over the weekend at New England. Again, I want to thank our featured guest, John Donovan, our sponsor, Skira Icelandic Spring Water, available at your local 7-Eleven. And thank you, all of our listeners and viewers. Make sure you're following along on Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and on YouTube. 
Thanks, everyone. We'll see you after the next match. Let's go fire.